Isaiah 46, 9 through 13. Let's start at 8. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to your mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old. For I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things not yet done. Saying, My counsel shall stand. And I will accomplish all my purpose, calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from far country. I have spoken, and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed, and I will do it. Listen to me, you stubborn of heart, you who are far from righteousness. I will bring near my righteousness. It is not far off, and my salvation will not delay. I will put salvation in Zion for Israel, my glory. You know, as we, um, as we live our lives, we make a lot of plans. Uh, daily, monthly, five-year plans, ten-year plans. Um, and a lot of times they don't really work out the way we planned them. Uh, not only do we have to change maybe the course of our plans, sometimes we change our end result of that we're after. Sometimes God just puts totally new plans in front of us. Uh, We try to establish and plan, but we know that it is the Lord who, who leads. And we read this passage in Matthew chapter 2, and we see, I think about this passage as a parent, as Joseph is trying to lead his family, um, and I don't know if he's got plans, because things just keep changing for him and for his family. But the reality of what's taking place in Matthew chapter 2 is that God has a plan. God has a purpose. And God in this passage, to fulfill His purpose, to fulfill His plan, brings divine protection upon His Son Jesus and Joseph and Mary. God is prophetic in this plan and in this protection as we see in this chapter. He is going to fulfill that which He has purposed. And as we read in Isaiah 46, it is to bring salvation. That is His plan. That is His purpose. And we saw this in the beginning of chapter 2 when Jesus was given a name specific to His purpose. God called Him Jesus. Yahweh saves. He has come to save His people from their sins. The events of this chapter were known by God, planned by God, spoken by a prophet, prophets hundreds of years before the events took place. 
So as I was reading this passage this the last three weeks, um, I could not get past the fact that while it seemed so erratic, go to Egypt, stay there, go back. No, I want you to go to Nazareth. It seems so messed up. But being drawn to the three times that it says that this was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken reminded me over and over again that Matthew has a specific purpose in mind. And that is to reveal to his reader what God is doing. Um, and so I, I do want to ask your forgiveness because I, I, I'm, I'm struggling with this because I, I want us to see God in this narrative. I want us to see what He is doing, not because of what is happening on earth, but because what He has purposed on earth. And I want you to see that it is His purpose, it is His plan, that He and no one else brings about the things on earth. And so as we walk through this, again, um, just forgive me, and I just don't, I'm having a hard time uh, to, to, to describe God and His plans and purpose and who He is. Um, so just bear with me. So we look here in chapter 2 and verse 13. And the angel of the Lord comes to Joseph in a dream. And at the end of 13, he says, Rise, take the child and his mother. Flee to Egypt. Now remember, they're in Bethlehem. Remain there until I tell you. Okay, that sounds that's, that's great. And he gives the reason why. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Herod is about to search for the child and destroy him. How? How do we how does how does this angel know Herod's intentions? Well, we know that an angel is a messenger of the Lord. We know that an angel has been sent by God to declare a message to Joseph on what must happen because not because God had foreseen how Herod planned to take care of Jesus, not because God had looked down the corridors of time to, to try to map out Herod's intentions. God knew Herod's intentions. God knew Herod's plans. God knew where he was going because God had, had purposed Herod for this time. He had purposed Herod for this time, for the life of Christ. He had not done anything outside of God's will, nor was he about to step outside of God's will and God say, what's Herod doing? I don't understand. God understood. God knew. Paul had told the, the Athens in, I believe it's chapter 17 of Acts, he tells them, men of Athens, God made the world and everything in it. He Himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. He made from one man every nation of mankind, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. Now, Joseph, as he's loading the donkey up, he's got his wife and he's got his young child. 
I imagine was questioning what is going on. What, what, he was dreaming, so is this the middle of the night and they're getting up to pack and they're going to go to Egypt? What is the purpose in this? But we know with God being in control, God knew for certain the plans that He needed to fulfill for the plan of Christ. So, you know, the question becomes, well, if God being in control, has allotted the times, the seasons, the places for all men. Why did this have to happen this way? Why did he have to have Herod to go seek out Jesus? They had to send him to Egypt. Why couldn't, you know, just Herod just kind of go away? Why couldn't Jesus just stay where he was? Why did it have to work out this way? Now, here's the answer. I don't know. I don't know why the details had to work out the way they did. I don't understand the exact plans of why it was Jesus was born in the time of Herod. I don't understand why. And as we roll through this passage, we get to a devastating portion of when Herod slaughters hundreds, if not thousands of children. I don't understand why. But I... I, I have some sense to think that as Joseph is questioning as he's packing up the donkey, that he's for sure of the purpose and plan of God. He may not know it, but he's been given the Word of God. Now, he's been given it a little bit different than we have, but he has been spoken to by God. And he knows that this baby that he's taking care of is the Christ. He is the son of David. He is the son of Abraham. And he has come to save his people from their sins. So, why did it happen this way? I don't know, but I, can, I do know these two things. And this is scripture. Romans 11. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How incomprehensible His ways. Yet, in Psalm 147, He says, The Lord is righteous in all of His ways. You take those two truths and you keep them together. That He is righteous in everything He does. And I need to remind myself that His judgments, His ways are unsearchable. They're incomprehensible. And Joseph, I'm sure, had that peace. Had that peace with him. God planned that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. He planned this during the life and reign of Herod. He planned for Herod to seek out the child to kill him. He had planned and determined the day, the hour, the minute that Herod would pass away. He planned to save this child in chapter 2 so that he could die later. The divine protection that God had on Jesus and this family was so that he could live to die. So that he would make it upon the cross of Calvary. That he could save his people from their sins. You see, Joseph 
was being brought into this redemptive plan. He was being a participant in God's salvific plan that we read about in Isaiah 46. And no matter what the curveball that came towards Joseph and his family, he could be certain that his child that he was taking care of was the Messiah. Now why am I rambling on about this? But for just a couple reasons, and then we'll move forward. I want us to understand that not one drop of rain falls, not one bird in the sky comes down to the ground, not one person passes away apart from the will of God. And we, as Joseph and Mary, I'm sure, have can take peace and comfort that no matter what the confusion or chaos around us, that God is not in confusion. God is not uh, surprised by the chaos. But He is ruling and reigning over His creation. And He is working all things for His purpose. And as we as Christians, we can have peace in knowing that. But does that not bring sadness to your heart for those who do not know that? Who live in this world, who turn on the news, and they don't know up from down, and they don't know who's in control. They do, though. They do. But it's our job to go and to proclaim. To go and take the gospel to the world that does not know Jesus. And that begins with knowing that God is holy and He is one and there is no one beside Him. And He rules and reigns upon this earth. And that one day all people will stand before Him. All people will be held accountable. Every mouth will be stopped. Nothing will be said to excuse their unwillingness to bow to Jesus. He has a plan and a purpose. And we have been brought into that. We as believers have been brought into this plan and purpose as Joseph and Mary have. And see... While Joseph's job was to take care of Jesus, our entrance into this redemptive plan, one, is what I've already stated, our proclamation of this gospel. But two, to remember that He has brought you into His kingdom, not to just live how you please, but He has called you and brought you to be holy and blameless before the Father. So Joseph had to take care of Jesus. We have to take care of our sin. Not in the sense that we defeat it, but by the power of the Spirit and the the power of the Word of God, we go each and every day and fight our sin to put it to death. That one day, by the power of the blood of Christ and the Holy Spirit, we will be presented holy and blameless before the Lord. And so as we look to the world and see the chaos and the confusion, maybe you and your wife don't understand why you are where you are in this moment. Maybe your job isn't going the way you had anticipated. 
Maybe you are in really bad circumstances right now. You can stop and you can remind yourself as a child of God, there is a land that is fairer than day. And by faith, right now, we see it afar. That one day, it will not be by faith. But we will see God in Jesus Christ in sight. And so as we look and we feel the confusion and the chaos of this world, we remember that the redemptive plan of God is bringing His children home. As He ultimately was guiding Joseph and this family to where He needed them to be. Um, another thing that I, we, uh, I've already discussed and we can see is this protection, this divine protection that has been brought upon this family, Joseph, Mary, and Jesus. Is God has ordained this rocky start to their life. I mean, this is like made-for-TV drama, what they're going through. But the, the point of it is that regardless of what they feel like they're going through, they are being divinely protected. Think about these. Think about these events. It starts with the wise men, right? The wise men are there, and what does God do? He redirects them to keep them from going back to Herod. And then Herod still wants to go and go after Jesus, so the Lord sends an angel to send them away from Bethlehem, and then while they're in Egypt, he sends them, wants to send them back to, to Israel. And we can assume that he wants to send them back to Bethlehem, or at least that's their thought, because as they're going back to Israel, they hear about Herod's son who is reigning. So Joseph is fearful again for Jesus, but ultimately the angel comes back and warns him a dream to withdraw to the district of Galilee. So the divine movement and protection of this of this family all throughout this chapter. And it made me think about Jesus in the wilderness. And you'll, if you're still at Matthew 2, you'll see it in Matthew 4. And we'll get to it in a few weeks. Um, the divine protection is to bring about the divine appointment of Jesus on the cross. That was God's protection and the purpose for that protection. And so I was thinking about Jesus in the wilderness. And what does Satan actually do? He tempts Jesus to test that protection. I hadn't realized that. He wanted Jesus to test God the Father's protection over His Son. He says it in verse 5 of chapter 4. Then the devil took Him to the holy city and set Him on a on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written. So he's going to quote, he's going to quote um, a psalm here. He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. Satan speaks of the divine protection but is actually tempting Jesus to, to test this divine protection, to test the Father. Jesus says, nope. He's fully aware of His day. And you see that all throughout the New Testament, that Jesus is going about fully aware of the day that is to come. 
fully aware that he has a divine appointment upon the cross in Calvary, in Jerusalem. And we see, you know, he gets it backed into corners and, it, and people are wanting to kill him. And it's as if he just vanishes out of the situation, unharmed, protected, because he knew that he was going on to Jerusalem, going on to carry his cross to Calvary in order that God would fulfill his purpose in him. Now, here's the thing to think about for us. Do you know that you have this divine protection? You have this divine protection as a Christian. Now, we don't want to think of it in the sense of the way the the Father kept Jesus in all of these miraculous ways. But we can know for sure how many times, how many times have you thought, man, if that car just would have been a little bit more over that way, who knows? God has appointed our days. God has numbered the hairs on our head. We have a divine appointment. And one day, one day we will be with the Lord. Not one day sooner and not one day later. And so we can live a life without fear. We can live a life not scared of them who could kill our bodies. We can live a life in peace knowing that we have a relationship and have been justified before the one who not only can kill the body but can kill the soul. We have divine protection. And as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, we have no more fear of death. We have no more fear of man. We have no more fear of judgment. You have, any, you have hope for eternity. Paul reminds us that to live as Christ is, and to die is gain. We have a divine protection because we have a divine hope. What do you fear? We should fear nothing. We fear the Lord. We do not live in anxiety because of the chaos and the the situations around us. We do not not overly burden our souls because we're concerned about our kids, but we give them to Him. We give them back to Him because we, we know that He has purposed all things and He does all things righteous. What shall separate you from this? This divine protection is the love of Christ for His children. And what shall separate you from the love of Christ? Listen to this list. Not tribulation. Not distress. Not persecution. Not famine. Not nakedness. Not danger. Not sword. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, or rulers. No things present, nor things to come. Nothing in all creation will be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. As truly being united in Christ, we have the love of Christ, which is a protection that we could never, never comprehend. And so we as believers, 
We can live by faith. We can live in peace and not in fear, not in anxiety. So, the last thing that we see in this passage, and I think it's said three times, I think is really, really, really important. Look in verse 15 of chapter 2. And they remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I call my son. Now look in verse 17. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. And verse 23. And he went and lived in the city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. Now let's just be clear about something. And let's turn to Second Peter chapter 2 to help us think through this. Second Peter chapter 2. The Lord is fulfilling His Word in these events. We know that God cannot lie. His Word is unfailing. And prophecy is the Word of God spoken by men. Now we can ask the question, why did it all have to happen this way? If we just answered, this was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophets, that is huge. These words were proclaimed hundreds and hundreds of years before any of these events ever took place. And what's the big deal about this? It affirms that what God says stands. It affirms that what God purposes will be fulfilled. That when he says it, he does it. Again, God doesn't look throughout the earth to figure out his next move. He already knows his move. He already knows his plans. But two things can come from this. An understanding that the word of God is fulfilled in these events. The first is... Jesus is affirmed as the Christ. So I've heard it said that Jesus was predicted in the Old Testament. And in the New, specifically in the Gospels, He is revealed. He is predicted in in the Old and revealed in the New. Now imagine being a first century Jew who is more than likely the audience of Matthew's book here. And they've heard of what Jesus had done. They heard about where he had went, what had been done to him. And they probably had heard that he 
people were saying he had been raised from the dead. Well, a first century Jew, you would have probably some significant understanding of these prophecies or these Old Testament scriptures. Matthew knows that very thing. And this is a way for Christ to be proclaimed. That in the Old Testament, he is predicted. And he's saying, guess what? He is here. This has taken place. This has happened. It is pointing to Jesus as the fulfillment of the Christ, the Messiah. But the second thing, and it might sit a little bit more at home with us, and I've, I've spoken to this a little bit, the fulfillment of these prophecies gives you and I confidence in the Word of God. Now when I say that, I, yes, I mean the Bible. But you have to understand something. When we, when, when we hold up the Bible, as I'm speaking words to you today, when we read the Bible, you are reading the spoken Word of God. The words of God. All Scripture is breathed out by Him. By God. Now, we can get really complacent in calling this the Word of God. And it's almost as if it's just a book that we call... No, it is the words of God. You just add that S to the end of word and it helps us to remember these are the words of God. And as we see His word said that this would happen in Isaiah and in Jeremiah, and we see it fulfilled in Matthew, that gives us confidence. Now look at what, what Peter has to say in 2 Peter chapter 2. He speaks of this very thing. Uh, starting in verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For when, we were, when He received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was borne to Him by the majestic glory, He said, This is My beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very vo voice Born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. Now here we're getting to this point. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day, draw, day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy will ever, was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. He says, we've not given you fables, stories, myths. We are acknowledging that what has happened has already been spoken about. And he said, I want it to make it plain that you need to pay attention. You need to pay attention to what the prophetic words have said. Now, the Old Testament 
can be a little bit difficult to read sometimes. But what you cannot do is separate yourself from the Old Testament. It is as much the Word of God as every word in the New Testament. And without the Old Testament, the New Testament might actually seem a little weird. But understand, if you're having trouble in the Old Testament as you're reading, as you're studying, read it in light of what is happening in the New. Okay? The prophetic word is fulfilled in the New. So read Old Testament. Well, what are they talking about? Well, I, get, I bet you're going to find the answer in the New Testament. The fulfillment of it is in Jesus and the redemptive plan of God. Now, quickly, I want to conclude with this statement as we think about that idea that we interpret the old with the new. Jesus gave a little Sunday school lesson on the road to Emmaus, and He told these disciples who were upset because Jesus had died. They couldn't find His body. And He said, why are you so slow to heart? What is wrong with you? You know what He did? He took them through the writings of Moses. He took them through the prophets. And He showed them that it is all about Him. It is all about Him. We, as God's children, in Jesus Christ, our lives should be all about Him. We've been brought into His redemptive plan. We have this divine protection. And it is not based on anything that we are or anything that we've done. It is based on the divine appointment that He had upon Calvary. As He hung upon the cross in His perfection. Taking on the wrath of God for the sake that we might be brought into the family of God, into the kingdom of God, and have hope eternal. Now tonight I'm going to save what we have left here. I want us to, this evening, to look at a couple of these um, prophecies. Because what we see in these prophecies is hope. When we look at them a little bit deeper, we see hope that's proclaimed in these prophecies that are in Matthew chapter 2. And if we have time this evening, Lord willing, um, I also want to consider God's rule over His creation and events that took place in Bethlehem like the slaughter of hundreds of children. Those are two things that are hard to bring together and to think about. So I want us, if we have time after looking at these prophecies, for us to consider God's sovereign working upon our earth in our lives. When we even see evil events like Herod slaughtering hundreds, if not thousands of babies. So, Lord willing, we come together tonight and we will conclude Matthew chapter 2. We must know and understand that um, 
The Lord's Word is active. And it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And it pierces. It pierces us all. It pierces our hearts. For some, in some instances, it brings about repentance. In some instances, it brings about judgment. That is the divine word of God. And so my prayer now is as you've heard the word of God, you've heard his divine plan of salvation. You know of his majesty and of your sin. That in this time of response that you will repent. That you will turn to him in faith. Cry out for the forgiveness that you need. And if you are if you've been living a life in chaos and confusion and you have not looked to the joy of Christ, I pray that you would do that today. So with that, let us pray and then we'll sing one last hymn. Father, we thank you today that you know the numbers of hairs on our head. That you are a God who has purposed and will bring about. That no one has given you counsel. No one has taught you anything. But Lord, that you have been gracious and merciful to us, your people, through Jesus Christ our Lord. And I pray you will guide us in our response to him for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen.